Welcome to With You Every Step, the solo travel podcast that explores, explains and hopefully inspires you to travel the world by yourself. I'm your host, Michelle Lee. Today's guest, Amber Farrington, is the author of the book, The London Hustler, about how to settle, save and socialise in London. Amber took the plunge to move from Australia to London, like many Aussies do, expecting an easy transition to life in London town. Unfortunately, it's not always the perfect dream. Today, Amber will talk about her journey and what led her to writing this fabulous book. Thank you, Amber, and welcome to With You Every Step. Thanks, Shell. It's awesome to be here. Everything that you've done in this book is exactly what we want on this podcast. It's about explaining to people how to travel. I mean, this book, you've given them exact tips on how to do it. So when did you leave Australia? So I left Australia in July 2015. That was when my two-year UK visa started. And yeah, moved to London and took the plunge. I was in the last moments of, well, I was 30. And that's the last year that you can get the automatic two-year youth mobility visa, they call it. So I thought if I don't do it now, then my chance will be gone. So originally I was planning to make it a six-month trip because I just didn't think I'd enjoy it as much as, you know, you know, I know the cliche and when I was about to leave, everyone's like, oh, you're going to love it. You're not going to want to come back. And I was like, "Mm, that won't be me. That's cute. But no, that won't be me. And I'll be back within six months. You'll see, you know. And then, of course, I became the cliche and ended up falling in love with it and really haven't wanted to leave ever since. But it wasn't always easy for you. Oh, no, no. So I arrived and I'm like, you know, I've heard amazing things. London's just amazing. Everyone just loves it. And I was like, why? You know, when I first arrived, I was like, the weather's horrible. Everything's expensive. Um, It's just even though it's a big city and it's a bustling city with lots of opportunities, it can also be quite lonely. And I was also in a job that wasn't, you know, really fitting every every criteria. So it was a bit challenging as well. So um, I really actually hated it when I first got there. Probably the first three to six months I found very, very challenging. I just couldn't get into my groove. Things were just not flowing. And I was questioning myself every step of the way. So like, mm. what am I doing here? Um, you know, because I really moved to London on more of an instinct or a gut you know, a gut feeling that this was where I was supposed to be. So I was constantly having this internal battle of, okay, this is where I feel I'm meant to be. Yeah. I know a lot of Aussies do. A lot of Aussies want Mm -hmm. to go and live in London and I Mm -hmm. never had that urge to do it. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I went and visited a friend in London and I was there for a week at one point and it was summer and it was miserable. It rained every day. <laughs> you, everything was so expensive. And I thought yep. the same thing. I thought, why do people move here? It's miserable. So I can exactly, exactly. see what you're talking about. So tell yeah. me, how does it change from that into loving it and never coming home? Because that's what happens a lot. I know. And that's what shocked me. I was like, it kind of crept up on me where I'm like, actually, I'm starting to get used to it. And then, oh my God, I love you, London. So I wasn't really expecting it at first, but I think it's a combination of a lot of things. It's it's a very hard city to just instantly come and just settle straight away because there's just so much to know and it can be quite overwhelming. And so basically I discovered a lot of ways to save money 
easily. So not like, you know, eating baked beans every day. That was not my strategy, but like easy ways to save money, easy ways to settle in, make life better, easy ways to find all this cool stuff. So like networks to join, um, Facebook groups that really enhanced my life. So like new social groups, like the Yes Tribe, people that go camping, do all this really cool, fun stuff. And I started to meet really cool people and realize that actually London is the land of opportunity because no matter what you're interested in, there's something here for you just because pure weight of numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a combination of me for getting into a better job, getting into a better house, finding ways to save money, finding ways to meet interesting people, like-minded people too, that suddenly I just started to really, yeah, feel feel alive in the city. And then it's like, oh, I get it. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, I almost left just before that point. Like I literally was at a turning point. I was almost on a knife's edge of do I stay or do I go? And I'm glad I stayed because of what's happened in my life since then. And that's part of the reason I wrote this book because I know a lot of Aussies or general other expats, they come to London and they do it really tough and a lot leave. And I think, you know, if I'd have left at that point, all the amazing things that have happened to me since then wouldn't have happened. So, you know, if I can sort of help others to adjust, at least then they know if they leave, they've given it their best shot. Yeah. And you might have regret. And I think the thing I love in your book is you really make it step by step. I know that, you know, you talk about getting there and setting up a bank account and, you know, it sounds, Mm -hmm. it sounds simple, but it's not that simple, is it? When you go to another country, it's not as easy as everyone (laughs) thinks. Nothing is simple in London. (laughs) Yeah. And that's just the thing. Like it's, you know, there's the practical things of when you just first arrive, there's so much to do and getting registered with the health companies and, you know, your national insurance number and all this kind of practical stuff, as well as, you know, dealing with things of homesickness, um, finding cool places to go out food and markets. And, you know, it's not a comprehensive list. Obviously, I haven't been to every restaurant in London. I haven't been to every park in London. So a lot of those is like, these are some of my favorites, a good place to start if you just arrive and you're bored. Now, you just mentioned something before that I hadn't heard of, which was how you met people. What was that mm. that you were talking about? So one of my biggest ways that I started to meet people was through meetup.com. I think they have it in Australia and pretty much everywhere around the world. Um, but basically they have a group for anything that you're interested in. And if you're not interested in it, you just start your own. So whether you're interested in like crafts or like hiking, like I love doing outdoor stuff. And then there's groups for like personal development and like inspirational talks. And so I started going to a lot of those as well. And at those events, you meet a lot of interesting people. Um, and then through just general Facebook searching, I found this group called the Yes Tribe. They do like campouts in you know the middle of summer, like midweek campouts. Everyone meets at Liverpool Street Station, and then we just jump on a train. Sometimes we'll just go to a field in some cute part of London, an hour out of London, and just all camp out under the stars. And then just everyone just jumps on the train at six a.m. the next morning, returns to work as if nothing's happened. Oh, that sounds um, really interesting. Oh, it is amazing, and they often run cool events. I mean, things like that that you just people just wouldn't know about. No, I've never heard of the Yes Tribe. Yeah. And it took me probably six to 12 months to start to discover all this cool stuff. And then over time, I just built up this bank of knowledge and people kept saying to me, oh, you need to sort of share this stuff with other people. You need to put it into a book. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it wasn't really until I had the time and space to do it that I was able to kind of put it all together and as a comprehensive guide. When you first got to London, did you go straight to a hostel? 
No, I was lucky. One of my good friends um, lived here in Clapham and he's British. Him and his wife had a spare room. So I was able to stay with them for a couple of weeks. And then I started my job. And my first job here was actually a live-in nanny. So I pretty much had job, house, everything sorted. I know a lot of people come and they have to like, they're looking for a house at the same time as they're looking for a job and they're living in hostels and it can be a bit of a nightmare. Mm. I was quite lucky in that sense, but I do, I've heard so many stories of people just trying to find the right place. And it can take a lot of time in London because places are expensive as it is. And if you're going to be spending that much, you want to be happy. You want to have a nice location. You want to have, you know, at least a decent vibe in the house. And usually most people have their list of what they want and their budget. And they'll usually have to either up their budget or compromise on a couple of things uh, because you just don't get what you want for what you're prepared to pay. You just it's just reality of supply and demand here. Mm. So, and the pound is so yeah. strong compared to the Australian dollar. Exactly. Yeah. Now, do you remember the exact moment when you decided that actually I think I'm going to stay? Kind of. Actually, it was around the time that it was kind of a couple of things just fell into place within a few weeks of each other. And I just felt like, oh, I'm meant to be here now. The signs are all good and things are just falling into place. So I had, um, after I left my live-in nanny jobs, I decided I didn't really want to do that anymore. I wanted to do more teaching or working sort of one-to-one tutoring with children. And I got really lucky in that a friend was moving out of this place and she said to me, you know, they're looking for someone and it's it's free rent, living with this lovely elderly lady. You're not obviously her carer. She's got carers that come in every day, but it's more just company and just having someone in the house overnight because she's got this big five-bedroom house and it's just her. Oh, wow. And my friend was moving with her boyfriend. Yeah, so she was moving out. She's like, you know, they want someone kind of trustworthy. So obviously being a teacher and, you know, that worked in my favor. That just kind of lined up. Finding this awesome house in an amazing location, living with this lovely elderly lady and having free rent. I mean, that in London, that is unheard of basically. (laughs) So that was the first thing that fell into place. And then a week later, I got a tutoring job working one-to-one with in her home every day, homeschooling this girl who was going through the adoption process. And so, and that was like literally around the corner as well. So it was like two things, the job and the place to live both just sort of fell into place within a week of each other. And from that point onwards, everything has just felt differently. Mm. That was probably the biggest turning point. And having a situation with free went meant that I was able to choose jobs that I really, really wanted to do and that I really enjoyed rather than just like, got to go for the most money so that I can actually survive in this city. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you're very lucky. It was a lucky break. And, you know, I'm still here two and a half years later in the yeah. same place. So it makes it easy to it's come and go. It's interesting, isn't it? It's kind of like fate sometimes steps in. And mm-hmm. when you're not meant to be leaving somewhere and it does, things fall into place and you end up staying and it's the best decision you made. Imagine if you ended up buying a ticket and jumping on that plane. I know. I thought about it. You know, I even had conversations with myself. Where I'm like, you know, if this is where I'm meant to be. And I was like, universe, you need to show me the goods and show it to me fast or else I'm out here and then literally like two weeks later things fell into place I'm like okay okay I'll take the signs I'm gonna stay (laughs) (laughs) and you know listening to your gut we talk about that Mm -hmm. all the time and it's so important isn't it oh yeah it's it's the number one thing that's like gotten me through the last couple of years and just navigating even when times get tough and you doubt yourself if you've got that underlying faith okay but I'm here because my gut feeling was really strong and then usually it's only a matter of days weeks maybe months and then you're you'll be proved right as to why you were there. So it doesn't always happen straight away. But if you just keep following 
you know, and trusting that you are meant to be there or, you know, that it's a worthwhile thing to be doing. Usually it will show you what it is in time. Yeah. You mentioned something in your book that I found really powerful. You say, do not compare your journey to anyone else's. And I think that's really powerful with life. It's so true. And, you know, the old saying is don't, don't compare your backstage to someone else's highlights reel. You know, I think it's very common, particularly when I moved to London, I'd heard so many stories of what everyone does when they move to London and, you know, move to London, work in a bar, get pissed every night. And I was like, that's just not my vibe. Like I'm all about going out, having a good time. But, you know, I was 30 when I moved here. So you're in a different place in life than when you're like 19, 20, and you just kind of want to be out every night having fun. And I started to feel when I first got here that, oh, I should be doing more of this, or I should be doing more of that, or almost like I had to justify what I was doing. And everyone comes here for a different reason. And I think it's really important to be true to who you are and do the things that really interest you and fulfill you and make you feel connected. And for me, that was not sort of going out to a bar every night. I'm all about that from time to time. But also, you know, there's loads of other things that interest me, like, you know, being outdoors and going for hikes and being in the parks and just having awesome dinners and conversations with friends and like things are a bit more meaningful to me now. Um, and at times I sort of compare myself, oh, I should be doing this, should be doing that. So once I was able to let that go, everything just got a lot easier because then I was really free to just listen to and follow what really, really interested me. Yeah. And again, I think that's with anything. You just can't compare mm-hmm. your story to anybody else's because it's yours to write. That's it. It really stuck with me. When I read that, I was like, Amber, That is so (laughs) right and it's so true. Mm. And I think even when people are traveling, Mm. they look at other people's travels and think the same. Oh, oh, they've been to this country. I need to go to that country. Well, maybe you're not drawn to that country. Maybe you're drawn to another country. That's so true. Or like not trying to tick anything off some list that you think the world has. You know, like I've been to India for two months and I didn't even go to the Taj Mahal. I've been to LA. I've even stayed in Anaheim and I've not been to Disneyland, (laughs) you know. So sometimes you can do things that you you think, oh, I should do that because I'm here or I should do that. But sometimes you go to a place and you just have to follow what you're – you might be there for a different reason. Like when I was in India, I had so many varied experiences and, you know, I did a lot of yoga and it was quite a spiritual experience. So I didn't feel I had to do all the tourist stuff. I feel like I will do the Taj Mahal one day. So, yeah, totally what you said and just running your own race and doing what you feel drawn to do, not what you think is – going to make a good Instagram photo or what you think people will be like, oh, well, why didn't you do that? Really just following what's going to bring you the happiness. That's probably the the best message. And for my listeners that aren't Australian, you might not be aware that the draw to London from Australia is huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Amber, are you aware of how many Australians do go to London? I'm not sure of the exact percentage, but I can tell you there's a Facebook group, Aussies in London, and there's close to 30,000 members in there. So it's a lot. Wow. <laughs> you don't have to look too far to see them. That is huge. And it's easy for us to get the visa to go to London. Is that why there's also such a big draw for it? Exactly. It's automatic, basically. So anyone under the age of 31 can automatically get a two-year working holiday visa. No questions asked. Um, you get full access to the healthcare while you're over here. It's really just like being back home. It's quite an easy sort of transfer. Yeah, and then the bonus, being in Australia, we are so far away from everything. Being in London, you can go everywhere, even for a weekend. I know, and that's the thing that's so addictive about it because – 
you know, you come back to Australia and Australia is beautiful. It's amazing. It will always be home. Just that freedom to just go anywhere within a weekend or travel from country to country. Like on my recent trip, I, you know, the maximum I paid for a flight was probably 80 pounds, you know, and I went right across Europe. So, I mean, the flight into Switzerland was only 60 pounds, but then the train ticket for an hour train ticket was, I think, 90 pounds within Switzerland. Mm, The trains are expensive, aren't they? That's the thing. You can get cheap flights, but the train system is really expensive. And it's the same in the UK. You know, that's why people kept saying to me, have you traveled routes around the UK? I'm like, well, I could take a train to Liverpool for 30 quid, or I could fly to Germany for 10 quid. <laughs> I think I know what I'm doing wow, this weekend. Is it that cheap? So cheap. Ryanair constantly have 9.99 flights. You know, I went to the German Christmas markets and I had I paid 20 pounds return and it was just the most amazing. You know, I only went for 3 days because you can afford to go for 3 days when you're only paying that much mm. on the on the flight. That's the that's the bonus and because I've often had jobs where I've worked not necessarily Monday to Friday 9 to 5, so I have better position to even take advantage of the cheaper flight. It's it's quite a quite a unique thing and it does get quite addictive having that the whole world at your fingertip. Yeah. Had you traveled much before you went to London? I had. I had traveled a lot because I studied in America when I was 19. And then when I was 21, I did a big round the world trip and I went sort of back through America. And then I went to Europe and did the, you know, the typical Kentucky tour all around the big spots in Italy and France and, you know, Amsterdam and all those kind of cities. And then I'd done a few other trips here and there, but Never as much as what, you know, the last three three years has just been like next level. <laughs> Pretty much haven't stopped traveling <laughs> since I got here. So, And most of your traveling you do by yourself? Yeah. I started traveling by myself. I think it's similar to you, Shell. I heard you talking about this on one of your other episodes. Basically, I just wanted to travel more than anyone else. And, you know, people couldn't always mm. get time off work. And so I was never like, oh, I want to travel by myself. I just started traveling by myself because I just want to travel all the time. And you can't always find people to take the time off or that want to go to the exact same place as you at the exact same time. And then yeah. it just, as you know, you just fall in love with it because you realize you can have so many amazing experiences. You can have the freedom to go wherever you want. You know, you meet amazing people in hostels or on tours or whatever. And so I sort of just started by default and then just kept doing it because I just love it. Although recently I've had some amazing trips being with friends or traveled by myself, but then gone from one place and met friends there and then met someone else there. And so I've had a lot more trips with friends or family or people lately. And I have actually really, really started to enjoy that. Maybe I'm converted. I have too. Yeah. I don't know. A lot of the people I travel with now I've met via traveling. Exactly. So I think it's kind of like you're still by yourself because you've met these people when you were originally by yourself, but now you've just made this bond and now you're traveling together. And that's how Helen, Heidi and I traveled through South America. We'd met in Africa. We were all there by ourselves. And then we just decided to keep traveling together. And and that's what I love about traveling by yourself is that you are open to meeting those people. And then you can choose to keep traveling with them if you choose to or not. Exactly. And you've already sort of given them a trial run as travel buddies. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. When I did a Kentucky tour probably oh, 12 years ago now, because I was yeah 21, I did get lumped with a bunch of pretty bogan Australians, actually. I think I went at a time that I didn't realize was schoolies week in Australia. Um, So for those of you in other countries, schoolies week is like, you know, your end of high school, everyone just goes and just gets pretty messy and blotto every night and just a bit, it's not too pleasant. So um, yeah, so I found that really challenging because I was in a lot of nice places, but I just, I couldn't really enjoy it. And so that was probably the most, the only time where I've just felt like I'm just not vibing with these people. And that can just be luck of the draw because I did a Kentucky tour 
in America and we had the best group ever. You know, we all got on so well. I'm still friends with some of them today. So it can just be totally luck of the draw. Ideas. And and that's the thing with a tour. And I will often try and get my own room for Mm. that reason. If I can afford it, some of them I can't because it, it can be too expensive, but I will try for that reason. And I have been on some tours and I there was one in Africa in particular they were not not really a welcoming bunch mm. they had been traveling for 50 days already so when I got on I was only doing a week I was the final week of their trip and so people had said to me, oh, more new people, great. Oh. And, you know, I was excited for this yeah. trip and I thought, oh, what, what, what have I stepped into? They'd all been together for a long time. So they were bickering and over each other <laughs> and over traveling and over being in camping sites. And mm-hmm. I was fresh and new and excited. And so it, that wasn't the greatest trip for me with that. But then I had to just go, Michelle, you're here for yourself. You're not here for them. You take what you want out of this. And so I just had to kind of put myself in my own little bubble and enjoy it for what it was. And I really made a big point of just sitting away from the people that were really negative and just Mm. sitting with, you know, who was being really positive in that moment. And I think that's the only way I got through that trip. Yeah, you're right. And who you're with can make a massive difference because it's hard to really get a feel for and really love a place when you're not in like a great energy of a group. Yeah. So I really had to put myself in a bubble and just go, you are in a really amazing place. Yes. Don't let their energy bring you down <laughs> because they were not in a good place at that point. And they had said, you know, we're just over it. We just want to go home. We're done. But they can't because they were on this big, massive trip and they were nearly done. They only had a week to go. And like I said, they'd been on there for like 50 days or something, which I personally would never go on a tour for that long. Yeah. Because I know that's going to happen. Was that like an overland tour? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I heard yeah. I heard of mixed responses. When I was in Malawi, I met a few people that had done them. Some people were like, oh, it was amazing. And other people were like, never again. And I think it depends on the tour company that you're with. Yeah. That tour company, I won't name them because I don't like to sure. say bad things about companies, but they, they were really bad. Mm-hmm. And they actually put us in a situation that was really unsafe. They put us in a really bad hostel. Uh, it wasn't a hostel. It was a hotel in Uganda mm-hmm. and they got broken into and people woke up to people in their room stealing their things and it was an all all inside job Mm. there's no other way they could get in there and that was all coming from the tour company and then they made us stay there another night instead of taking us to another place I still had one of the most amazing experiences where I hiked to the gorillas and got to see the silverback gorillas in the wild Mm. and if people ask me you know what's one of your favorite adventures that's one of them so it was bunched in with a whole bunch of bad things but it's still the highlight of my travels yeah so where have you been traveling to what have you been doing basically I've done a lot of um you know trips around France and I was lucky when I first moved here I worked for a French family that lived in London so I got taken to their sort of holiday house with them in summer which was amazing it was just on Lake Geneva on the French side of the lake and I've done a lot of trips around Croatia it's probably my favorite. I think Croatia is the most magical country. And no matter where else I go, uh, I, yeah, I always compare it to Croatia. And I'm just like, oh, the beaches aren't quite as nice. And the water's just not quite as, as quite as warm. And the peace isn't quite there. And I just, to me, nothing compares. I mean, I was there a month ago and I'm probably going to go back again next month just to make the most of the, the last of summer. Yeah. 
Well, next time, next time I go to Croatia, I will make sure that you can meet me there and we can do it together. <laughs> yeah, because I know you've got family there, don't you? Yeah, I'm a dual citizen, so yeah. I've got a Croatian citizenship as well. I definitely have family there. My dad's sister is still there, so I will hopefully go back to visit her and go back. I mean, I'm always drawn back there. It's, yeah. It, it, it is beautiful, and that's where I feel at home. When I'm there, I feel very comfortable. Yeah, well, I found this amazing hostel last year in um, not far from Split, in just along the coast, and I mm-hmm. went there for a week and I ended up staying for four because it was just so magical. Wow, do you remember the name? Yeah, it's called Hostel Dalmatia. So, um, and I've become friends with the owner now, so I continued to go back, and then I went back this summer for three weeks already, and probably going to go back in September because every time I'm there, I just feel like. Life doesn't get better than this. Like it, to me, it's just the perfect mix of, and there's not really many tourists around this spot. It's purely just locals in their holiday houses. It's just the most beautiful beach, the beautiful coastal walks. It's not far from like Brella, Bashkavoda, um, Makarska, that whole coastline. Like we often do walks all along to the next towns, and it's just, it's just me and my happy place. I just, it doesn't get better than that for me. <laughs> Yeah. And what makes this hostel so good? What makes you want to keep going back? Yeah. It's kind of more like a homestay because there's only one dorm room and it's got eight beds and then there's three private rooms. It's always a really beautiful communal vibe and it feels more like you're just staying with family. Like each time I go there, I've made some like amazing friends and everyone cooks together tonight. If you want to, you know, each night, you don't have to obviously, but most people just do. And because there's always people from all over Europe, sometimes like Romanians might cook and then they cook their kind of local food so everyone gets to try it. And then like a Polish family might cook their traditional food one night and then there might be like your Americans or whatever else. So it's just – it almost becomes like a big sort of family homestay and it's just got a really amazing vibe coupled that with, you know, obviously the beautiful beaches and nature and just the pressure of not really having to do anything. And so it's also a place where I often get really like – a lot of inspiration and it's where I wrote probably about half of the London Hustler uh, last summer because I just had time, you know, you go to the beach in the morning then in the afternoon I'd come back and just sort of tap away at the computer while most people were having their afternoon naps and <laughs> it was just, yeah, really special, special place. Oh, that's nice to hear. I'm loving that you love Croatia. The visa that you had was a two-year visa. Yeah, yep. What happens at the end of your two years? Because you're still in London now. We're talking via Skype. Mm -hmm. So how did that work? That is a good question. Basically, when my two-year visa ended, I was just super sad. I didn't want to leave. Life had just gotten better and better and I was everything was just going swimmingly. I didn't want to leave and um, I knew I had to, obviously, because you can't extend it. It's not a negotiable thing. Eventually, I accepted that that's what was going to happen and then you know, I came back to Australia, had a few months there and then went to Africa in October last year. And after two months of being in Africa with my friend, and I was preparing to book a ticket back to Australia and she was booking her flights back to London. And she's like, oh, there's a 200 pound flight tomorrow back to London. I was like, oh, I was like, I could come to London. <laughs> I had no idea what or why. It made no sense. I was, it was December. So it was you know, below freezing in London, I had nothing but my Africa wardrobe, which was like a few singlets and shorts. And it just felt right. So I booked my ticket and found myself in London a few days later. But obviously, the catch is I was on a tourist visa. So you're not allowed to work, Mm. which was interesting, obviously, because at first, I was just so excited to be back. And I spent all this time hanging with friends. And you know, then it was Christmas, and all my friends were on holidays. So we had a lot of social stuff. And then it was like January and everyone went back to work and I was like, I still really kind of want to be in London, but I'm getting a bit bored. You know, I need to 
do something. I need a project or something. And that was when I was like, oh, this is the perfect time to finish my book. I pretty much, you know, spent every day for the next two months just working away at my book. And I sent it off to a lot of test readers. You know, what do you think of this? People that I didn't know as well that were in my target market. So like a lot of Aussies that had either just moved or were moving to London or other people just to get their advice on, you know, what else would you want included in the book? Is there any bits in the book you didn't like or that was wrong or not useful? So I basically spent two months sort of finalizing and updating because I'd written most of it nine months earlier. And because London moves so quickly, quite a few of the things I'd written were already outdated or I'd written about specific things like Ryanair and EasyJet's carry-on baggage policy, for example, and that had already changed. You know, I'd written about travel cards and, you know, the percent, the particular exchange rates you'll get and that had already changed so that was probably the most frustrating bit having to go back and like redo all the things that I'd already done but it was amazing because it gave me like a focus it gave me a project and it was just like and it was obviously awesome being in London so I could actively be researching all the things that I was writing about you could be hustling yeah the best thing about the tourist visa in London is that it's six months so I knew I had till oh is it really yeah Six months. I so, did not know that. I know. Six months tourist visa for I London. Know. Is that just from Australia? I think being in a, with an Australian passport, you can pretty much automatically get a six-month tourist visa. They were a bit reluctant to give it to me because I'd come back in so close to my work visa ending. I had to really kind of mm-hmm. prove to them that I was not here to work, that I was not here to do anything dodgy and that I was literally just kind of holidaying but still in love with London and just didn't want to leave. And eventually, you know, obviously they let me in. So I knew I had six months, which meant that I had to leave at the start of June. And so that helped me really focus my book. And I set myself, you know, 5th of April, I wanted to publish my book so that then once it was all out, I could sort of spend some time enjoying it and have like a book launch party. Um, so having a shortened time limit actually makes you more focused for achieving a goal because really knew I had to get it done by this date. I had to start uh, marketing. I had to start doing all that sort of stuff ahead of time. So you didn't work at all in that time? No, I didn't work at all. So that's why it's a bit of a joke. A lot of people, you know, that have hardly worked a day in the last year. I pretty much haven't. <laughs> 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 So are you still on the six-month visa? Yeah. So then I came back in a few days ago and I'm on the six-month visa again. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's back it up a bit. Okay. So you you were there for six months. Yep. So I left on the 4th you of June. You left. Mm-hmm. Which was a, You've come back. Yeah. And they let and me you in. have another six months? Yeah, they've given me another six months. I'm not going to stay six months this time because I, so I went, I had eight weeks in Europe, which I only got back from, as you know, a few days ago. And I'm basically probably only going to stay here for another month because I just want to go back to Croatia and then I'm going to Greece for a retreat. So you're going to come back to Australia and start earning. Do you feel like you can leave London? That's a good question. I've, when I got back here in December, I just felt this like sense of magic in me. I was just so excited to be back and I almost feel like it's because I knew that the book was going to happen in that six months. Whereas now, when I landed on Friday, I was like, yeah, it just feels like I'm happy to be back because I love it. I'll always love it. But I don't feel like this is where I'm supposed to be now. I feel like the journey is almost ended, not in a way that I'll never come back, but in a way that it's Mm. just not where I'm supposed to be now. And I'm excited for the next chapter of my life. So from before you left home to how you are now, what have you noticed personally as the biggest changes from living in London? Quite a few things. I would say I don't get as anxious about the small stuff anymore because, you know, I've dealt with the big challenges and I know that no matter what happens, 
I'll be able to figure it out and I'll land on my feet. Even if it causes me some, you know, issues in the short term, I know that things will always work out because that's just, life has just proven to me that I'll be able to figure stuff out. I don't get as worried about what if this, what if that, or trying to sort of plan things. I'm more flexible and um, able to kind of go with the flow um, and not be so caught up in having to know exactly what's going to happen next. And also, I just know myself better because I've been, you know, through these challenges and and then experienced the opposite end of all this amazing stuff happening. I feel more empowered. That's probably the word. And I've got more control over my own destiny now in the point that I feel like I can create what I want. I can um, do the things that I want to do and nothing's nothing's out of limits. And I don't have to sit back and accept you know, whatever is thrown to me, but I can really sort of, you know, get out there and make things happen. Okay. And you keep talking about the challenges you had when you were first moving to London. What do you think were the biggest challenges? I mean, there are quite a few, like in a practical sense, obviously, once I left my nannying job, I then went through that whole thing of trying to find a place to live and, you know, trying to find your tribe because, you know, I had some lovely friends in Australia and obviously, very close to my family. So to then come to a new city and feel a bit isolated, it's it's not that I didn't have friends, but it wasn't the same. You know, they weren't those kind of close friends that I could talk to about everything and just feel a sense of home and sort of familiarity with. So that's a challenge. And once I started to make just a couple of friends that I just felt really connected to, that was a good turning point. And then obviously dealing with the weather, you know, it got to October I was, I was nannying, I was picking the kids up from school at 3.30 and it was almost dark, like pitch black dark. It just gets dark. So, and it just, it, you just feel like the world is closing in on you. And then, you know, it can just be gray and yeah, it's cold and you get, you get warm clothes. So it's not as in the cold that bothers you. It's more just the gray drabness. And when it sets in, gloomy. That's, that's how it. I felt when I was there. I felt gloomy. I know. And I actually got really sick when I was in London too. So I don't have a loving feeling to go back to London. Yeah, the, I get it. The week that I spent there. But, you know, I, do, I didn't do it justice mm-hmm. and I know that I didn't do it justice and it deserves more than what I gave it. But the week I, I had just come from Jamaica. So Jamaica <laughs> was hot and steamy and beautiful yeah. and beautiful beaches. And it was summer in London and it was cold. It was like our winter in Australia. And it hailed mm-hmm. and rained and I got really sick. So I spent a few days in bed and yeah, it was quite miserable. And I felt like everyone seemed miserable, mm. but then there was patches that I think I can see what you were talking about. It was Canada day, maybe Canada day. And there was one street that was all shut and all the pubs were cranking. And so we went out and everyone was having a ball yeah. and it was a fabulous day. And I got given a lot of free food that day. Yeah. <laughs> I went into McDonald's and said, I'm really hungry, but I don't have any money. And they said, would you like a cheeseburger? I said, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know how. I went in the same day. I went into another place and I'd been traveling for a long time at that point. And before this was before I found out that I was gluten-free and I couldn't have gluten mm. anymore. So I was still eating pies and sausage <laughs> rolls, which is a very big Aussie thing. And I love my pie and sausage rolls. They're just so good. And then 
I was in the US and I was traveling in other places and they don't have those. I got to London, we went out, went into a place and they had a sausage roll and I saw it and I said to the lady, oh, you have just made my day. So I went out, I said, please, that there was one left. And I said, that sausage roll, it has my <laughs> name on it. And you know, clearly I'm not dramatic at yeah. all. <laughs> so I'm putting on this performance and I was, oh, yes. And I'm being so loud and dramatic. And the lady, I don't know if she was dazzled by my drama <laughs> as she got the tongs and she pulled out the sausage roll. She dropped it <gasps> on the ground. Oh no, she didn't. Yeah. <laughs> she did. Oh, no. And on the ground, I got on the ground and I was, no, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was so, I nearly had tears in my eyes. I was that broken. So they offered me a free large pizza. So I took the pizza and I left. <laughs> danced out with your pizza so I ended up with a lot of free food yeah <laughs> I'm pretty sure I think I saw in your book there's a chapter that's on kind of my pride freebies. and joy is freebies you know that's that's what that's my bread and butter here so basically um part of being the hustler is I discovered like amazing ways to get pretty much free everything so free yoga free workout classes free meals or at least 50% off like good restaurants it's just like once you start to discover all these ways it's like, how is everyone not making the most of this? But so many people just don't know about all these freebies. And, you know, I'm quite resourceful. So I do a lot of researching, Googling. If I notice something pop up in my newsfeed, I'll like find out about it. And over time, you just amass this kind of library of all these ways to just get free stuff. And it's not, my tips are not like, oh, go dumpster diving or look for the leftovers thrown on the curb. It's like, just sign up to this app and once a month you'll get a free meal. Like really simple straightforward stuff, even little things like giving them your birthday so that then when you email, give them your email address, usually they'll send you a free meal for your birthday or, you know, there's so many ways that you can get free stuff. And also in London, there's, you know, you can get free yoga, Lululemon do amazing classes. And when I first moved to London, I would go just because it was free. But now I continue to go just because it's actually awesome and I really enjoy it. Mm. Well, that's great. But there's lots of apps where you can get 50% off great restaurants um, even free food. There's one called Olio and all these amazing like chain restaurants like Pret, they put their food up for collection pretty much because they have to keep it fresh every few hours. So, you know, I can get amazing salads and soups and baguettes and everything just completely free. <laughs> Sometimes we joke that we could feed ourselves for free like a whole week without having to buy anything. You should set yourself that challenge and I see should. if you can do it. Yeah, I actually joked with a friend about that. Um, I think I might. Yeah, I think so. I would like to see that. I would like to see you do a whole week on, on free food. I think that would be great. And then that could be in your next book. Yeah, true. I think your book is fabulous. And I think everyone that is planning to move to England definitely needs it. It is a Bible. It is great. It's got great tips in there. You won't have to have your butt in the air diving for food. You will be able to go and get some quality food with your tips. Well done. Congratulations on this book. It's really, really fabulous. Thanks, Cheryl. I appreciate your support. My biggest bit of advice, and this is for traveling or moving to a new city, is that generally in life, we regret the things that we don't do more than we regret the things that we do do. And so often we can let fears creep up on us or we worry about, oh, what if I do this and it doesn't work out? And very few decisions in life 
are irreversible. I kept saying to myself, even when I had the doubts when I moved to London, I kept saying to myself, even if it doesn't work out, I just knew that I could always go back to Australia. I think it's really important if you've, there's something that you want to do, whether it's taking a trip somewhere, you know, going to see something, doing it by yourself, even if it's a bit scary or it puts you out of your comfort zone, usually you won't regret it. You'll regret it more if you don't do it than if you do do it. That's great advice. And I agree. I really think that's true. I was in Dublin and again, it was miserable and cold and everyone seemed really miserable. And I was there for my birthday and I thought, I don't want to spend my birthday in the cold because in Australia, my birthday's in July, it's always freezing. And I was in Europe and it's going to be hot. So I just put it on Facebook because I wasn't happy. And I just put on Facebook, where can I go for my birthday? And a girl that I'd met in a hostel in Miami was on my Facebook and she said, come to Mallorca. <laughs> so I jumped on a, sp- on a plane and went to Spain and went to Mallorca and had the hottest, most beautiful birthday. Love it. I think you're right though. You can always kind of flip it so you can get out of it and, and you'll always be able to come home mm-hmm. or you'll always be able to have go somewhere else if it's not working. But I think in that moment, it can seem quite dark and quite hard. Exactly. And just to back yourself in and know that you've got a lot of coping skills and if things go wrong, usually you can handle it. Well, thank you for joining us on With You Every Step. I will be putting links in the details below that everyone can go and find your book. And I do recommend go and getting it, reading it. It's available on Amazon. Yes, Amazon in every Amazon store around the world. Yeah, make sure you get a copy. Thanks for joining us, Amber. Thanks so much for having me, Michelle. I've been loving listening to your podcast, so it's an honor to be on. Oh, thank you. Thanks for listening to With You Every Step, hosted by Michelle Lee. We do hope you enjoyed listening. And if you did, make sure you tell everybody. If you didn't, nobody likes a Debbie Downer. Please subscribe to get up to date with our latest releases and give us a thumbs up on our social media at With You Every Step. We love to hear from you. If you have any questions or inquiries, please email us at michelle at michellelee.com or head to the Contact Us page at our website, michellelee.com. That's also where you'll find all our blogs mentioned in the podcast. We love to hear from you and if we have inspired you to travel. Thanks for listening. Love life and adventure on.